back to Colossians chapter 1, and Lord willing, we will get there soon. Theme tonight is making, or this afternoon is making disciples, and I think it's helpful if we work with the same definition. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? And there's several different definitions we could go with. Uh, there's a book that I've uh, referred to regularly. The tagline of the book is Shaping Your Ministry Culture Around Disciple Making. I'll just read a, a segment from, from that on the answer of what is a disciple. Generally speaking, most people assume that discipleship is a personal relationship, an intimate kind of thing, something that happens in our private lives or in small groups, perhaps in contrast to other aspects of church life that are more public or programmatic. Most tend to roughly equate being a disciple with a general idea of following Jesus. And that's not bad on the surface. And a lot of times we generally, we generally try to think of it that way. We think, okay, so how did Jesus make disciples? Okay, he took, he took those 12 guys and he brought them apart from everybody else and he had intimate time with them. And sometimes it was one-on-one or one-to-three or one-to-twelve. And as he's working in a, in a more private setting, he's teaching them things like that. And so, so discipleship should look kind of like that. And so we'll have opportunities where we'll be in smaller groups or we'll be in uh, one-to-one contact with somebody and we'll walk them through some things and we'll teach them. We'll teach them how to follow Jesus. Well, it depends, I guess, on what we mean by follow Jesus. What does it mean to learn to follow Jesus? The word translated disciple in our New Testament refers to a learner or a student, someone who's apprenticed to a teacher to learn from him. And obviously there's intellectual content that goes along with that. Right? If you're an apprentice to a carpenter, you're going to learn things about carpentry that are of an intellectual nature. You're going to learn what types of tools to use, what kinds of implements you're going to use, when this works, when this doesn't work. But in following Christ, it wasn't just about learning intellectual content, a way of thinking. It's also about how we perceive the world, how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive God, And how we put into practice what he's teaching us. So we see Jesus teaching his learners not just content, but how it fits into the worldview of God and how does it look to obey that content. What does it look like when we have an an instance of somebody who is my enemy who's coming against me? What does it look like when I'm challenged with somebody from a different ethnic group that I I, I don't have uh, affinity for, with the Samaritans, for example? And here the disciples are like, "Let's let's just call down fire from heaven to consume them. And Jesus responds very differently. Jesus makes the Samaritan a hero of a story. Jesus shows how to love those who aren't lovely and those that they weren't naturally inclined to favor. But there's more to discipleship than just that. In the case of Jesus' disciples, the outcome of this learning was not simply the mastery of a certain body of knowledge. That's what we associate with classroom learning. But what these learners were learning from Jesus was a way of life based on an understanding of certain truths about reality. The goal was not only to know what their teacher knew, but to become like the teacher, to walk in his ways. They were not learning a subject, they were learning a person. 
This is why it was so necessary for them to follow their teacher around, not only listening to his words, but seeing those words in action. Yet the significance of following Jesus goes deeper than that because of who Jesus was and to what end they were following him. And so Jesus says in Luke 14, Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So this is more than just a master class. This is more than just a graduate degree. This is a change of everything. We just sang, God is making all things new, and that includes us. God is changing us fundamentally, completely, making us something new. And so unless we are willing to renounce all that we had before Christ, we aren't really able to be his disciples. This is why baptism is such a beautiful picture, because it not only pictures the fact that we die with Christ and we are raised to walk in newness of life, but that we are dying to our old self and that continually we are putting to death the things of the flesh, getting rid of those things because we are following and we are learning Christ. So the passage that's on the screen, we often call that the Great Commission. Pastor read for us verse 18 this morning where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, verse 19, I'm going to change the translation a little bit. Right? Therefore, as you are going about, make disciples of all nations. Why all nations? Well, his authority is universal. But the Jews were used to God only favoring them. And here he's telling his disciples, who were all Jews, this is not just for Jews. This is for all the nations. This, that is, God is calling disciples from every nation and tribe and tongue, so there should be nobody, including for them the Samaritans, there should be no one that we say, they can be excluded, they can be overlooked, I don't need to share the gospel with them. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations and baptize them. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, verse 20, to observe all that I have commanded you. They were not told to make disciples of themselves. Jesus didn't say, hey, you've been my disciple all this time, now you go and make disciples of yourselves. He says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of me. Say, so, okay, but you're going to be gone. No, he says at the end, behold, I am with you always even into the end of the age. So, what do we do? We are supposed to make disciples for Jesus. Make disciples of Jesus, not of ourselves, of Jesus. How do we do that? We teach them what he taught. And not just the content, but the way in which he put that teaching into practice. He says, teach them to observe, to pay attention and persist in obeying all that I have commanded. And so, as the disciples were going out doing that, they passed that along to other people. They made disciples for Christ of other people in other nations who then were faithfully passing it along to other people who were faithfully passing it on to other people. This is discipleship. This is what we are called to do. And the question is that we're seeking to answer is not just what is discipleship, but how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to do this? And the answer uh, is throughout the New Testament, but we have it all here in Colossians chapter 1. And so I'm going to try to bring our attention to, in Colossians 1, the answer to that question, 
How are disciples made? How are disciples made? Well, as we said, uh, God is seeking to make all things new. God is making all things new. And that includes those of us who are disciples of Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Galatians, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And in chapter 7, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. In John 3 and Colossians 1, and we see over and over and over how he's talking about that, that the believer's life doesn't stay anything close to what it used to be before. God is making us brand new. He's making us new. And, and now we are learning Christ so that we no longer walk the way we used to walk. Now we walk in a new way, in a new fashion. And so our discipleship is ongoing. That is, we never get to the place where we are the master teacher and everybody is underneath us as our followers. Because we ourselves are disciples of Christ. He is still working in us. He's still changing us. So, you can disciple me. I can disciple you. We can disciple each other. Say, really, are are you being serious right now? Yeah, I've got a standing appointment every Thursday at 6 o'clock where a teenager comes and disciples me. And they they disciple me at TAC, too. So, So, we should never get to the point where we think we have arrived and no longer can I learn anything more about Christ. That discipleship continues on throughout until one day we are seeing Christ face to face and he perfectly conforms us into his image. So Colossians 1, Colossians 1 tells us that disciples are those who are qualified by God to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's verse 12. They were delivered, he says, from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom they have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's verses 13 and 14. They're further described as those who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but who are now reconciled in his body by his death in order to be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before Christ. 21 and 22. So the present result should be that they are being filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right? That's part of the task of discipleship. Let me read that again. The present result should be that we are being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. That's verses 9 and 10. So there's a big change. Big change. Disciples used to be alienated, but now they are adopted. They were in darkness, now they're in light. They were hostile in their mind against God, they were doing evil deeds, now they are presented as holy and blameless. They once walked or lived in order to please themselves, now they are living to please their new Lord. And where is this transformation most notably seen? Well, as we continue reading in Colossians, we see it falling out into our relationships. The way we relate to one another. 
That's where that transformation is easily noticed. And so he says in verse 4 that we should have love for all the saints. Verse 7, that love involves giving what is needed, especially the gospel. And the gospel is not just for unsaved people. The gospel is for all of us. We should be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day, reminding ourselves that we don't deserve this, but that God is doing this for us through his grace and if he did that for us, we should be sharing that with others. Chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 tells us that our selfish view of others is gone when Christ changes us. Verses 10 and 11 deals with discrimination and hatred and class warfare and nationalistic pride. All of that is gone when we become joined together in Christ. Verses 12 through 15, our compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and love which binds everything together in perfect harmony comes about when Christ's gospel gets a hold of our heart and we recognize the change that he is accomplishing. We are being made like Christ. And so we are going to have the compassion he had. We're going to have the kindness and the humility and the meekness and the patience. And that doesn't happen overnight. It's a progressive change. From chapter 3.18 to chapter 4, verse 1, we see all of the ways in which our personal relationships demonstrate God's working in our hearts. So God is doing something to make us brand new. And the way he is accomplishing that is through his word in the process of discipleship. It's all in his power, and it's through the power of his word that he accomplishes this. So, how do we do it? How do we do it? Now, there's a section I was going to read. I'll, I'll skip through it. But basically, when we ask the question of the world, or when we ask the question of, of, of nominal Christians, what is the point of discipleship? A lot of times the answer comes back as something about making us better people. I want to be the better version of me. But that's not what discipleship is. Discipleship's not making you a better you. It's making you like Christ. And so there is going to be a lot of change involved in that. And it's going to be a lot of putting off, or as he says in Colossians, putting to death the old things that we used to do and embracing the new things in Christ. Those things that we were designed to do that we had stopped doing or never did because of our own selfishness. He says, that's got to be put away. You've got to put those things to death. That's not important. What's important is following after Christ. And so how are we going to accomplish that? How are we going to make this change? Well, we don't have the ability to do that. We don't have the power to do that, but God does. And he empowers us for the task through his word and through the working of the Holy Spirit. And Christ continually being with us and interceding for us helps us in this ministry that he's called us to do. All right? So before we talk about how... Let's come back to that question I asked at the beginning of our reading. Why are we to make disciples? And the answer's from Colossians 1. There's, there's a few of them in there. There's one big one that I'm looking for, but there, there's a few of them in there. So what did we come up with? What is the reason why we make disciples? Not everybody at once. If your answer's not directly in Colossians, you could share that too. What's that? We were told to do. Okay, yeah, you got it right on the screen, right, Matthew? He, Christ commands you to do it. You better do it. 
If for no other reason, the fact that he commands us, we should do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. He commands us to do it. Any other reasons why we should do it? What's that? Okay, and he does talk about the love that we're supposed to have for one another. Yes, so, so our love for others should compel us to make disciples of other people so that they can be saved. Anybody else? Yep. Absolutely. So part of the goal in discipleship is seeing everyone perfect or everyone mature. Uh, and, and we might get into this next Sunday, but we, we are crossing the finish line together. Perfect and mature. And so part of the reason why we are discipling is so that we can accomplish this goal of seeing everyone mature or blameless. Good. Anybody else? Don't want to miss anybody. Lois? To glorify God. And specifically, Christ. Right? So if you look at verse 15, it talks about the fact that uh, my eyes aren't focusing here, sorry. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, that's a, that's a very literal translation. We also see that in verse 18. Uh, and it's part of the reason why Arius believed that Christ was not uh, fully God, that he was created by God. Is, is he seeing this and he's saying, well, see, he was born, so he didn't always exist. All right, so... Uh, but that, that idea of firstborn doesn't necessarily have to have that kind of an understanding. And so in verses 15 through 17, Paul tells us, uh, as he does in other places, that all things were created through Christ, for Christ, and that through Christ all things are being held together. And why he says uh, that that's supposed to happen, he goes on in verses 18 to 20, is because Christ is the head of, ch head of the church, so that he will have preeminence. He will have first place in all things. So in order to glorify God through discipleship, he says we have to make Christ the firstborn or the, the preeminent one. He needs to have first place in everything, including the way we live, including the motivation for why we do what we do, including what it is that we do. All of that is geared towards raising Christ higher, giving him the highest position in our life so that when the world looks at Christians, what they see is that Christ has first place. So we make disciples not mainly because of us, not mainly because of them, but because of Christ and seeking to elevate Christ in every aspect of life, particularly in the way we live. So why do we make disciples? There's a lot of good answers. Primarily, though, we want to see Christ have first place in everything. And so we change our, life, our lives according to his word. We help others change their lives according to God's word. And they help us change our lives according to God's word. So we're all disciples of Christ, but we are ministering to each other to accomplish this. In Ephesians, Paul talks about the fact that, that when we are loving our brothers and our sisters properly... That, that the church then begins to operate the way it's supposed to, and we build each other up in love. And what ends up happening is that we have this, this perfect temple that is the body of Christ, and that temple brings about the worship of God accurately. It also demonstrates to the world who we are and who Christ is. And, and he says in Ephesians that it also is to show the manifold wisdom of God to the angels and the demons. 
So not even just people, but the spirit beings. Okay, so it's a pretty big deal. Right? It's primary in, in our lives is that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, that we are being taught to guard and persevere and, and, and completely obey everything that Christ taught us. So how do we do that? How do we do that? There's four Ps, so it's alliterated, but I, I didn't come up with the alliteration, so just, just so you know, it's, it's actually a decent alliteration then. Um, the first one is that God uses people. God uses people as his fellow workers. We see that not just in Matthew where he tells his, at that time, the 11 disciples to do this, but we also see it here in Colossians 1. And we see it throughout the New Testament, but I'll I'll draw our attention to uh, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And we didn't read chapter 4, but he he comes back to Epaphras in in chapter 4, verse 12 as well. But in chapter 1, 7 and 8, he talks about this, this guy Epaphras. He says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So here's Epaphras who's ministering the gospel that he heard to the people at Colossae, and he's also communicating with Paul and the others that are in this gospel team. He's communicating to them how the Spirit is doing a work in them, and so he's encouraging Paul to continue on in ministry. Paul talks about himself at the end of chapter 1 and then into chapter 2, verse 1. Starting in verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am, filling up for, uh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So what is Paul doing? He's serving them so that the word of God will be fully known. That is the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but it's now revealed to his saints through the word. And so Paul's making known that to him. He says in verse, uh, I think it's 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have had for you and for those at Laodicea and all those who have, been, who have not seen me face to face. So Paul says God's using people to accomplish this work. God's using people as his fellow workers. Now, is it certain select people? No. No. All Christians are called to do discipleship work. All Christians are called to do that. When Paul talks about the giftings to the church, he talks about the fact that there were apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and he says those were gifted to the church to do something. That is to equip them for the work of ministry. So, those who are pastors, those who are elders, those who are teachers, they have an opportunity to equip you for ministry, but the, the idea is not they're the ones doing the ministry. The idea is that we all together are doing the ministry. This, this ministry of, of fishing for men. We don't use a, a fishing rod. We're using a net the way they did. Okay? We are working together to accomplish this. So all believers are involved in this. And here's Paul saying to the Colossians, he's like, it's not just one person that's doing this kind of work for you. There are several people that are doing this work for you. And as you grow, you're going to be doing this for other people as well. So people are God's fellow workers. 
God uses people. We aren't made disciples by falling asleep and having information downloaded to our brains during sleep. God is using people, and so therefore we need to be together with people. And for some of us, myself included, that's uncomfortable. I'm, I'm much more introverted than I appear, okay? And I would much rather just be by myself most, most of the day. But Paul says, and Jesus says, no, 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 that's not why I left you on this earth. I didn't leave you here for you. I left you here for me. And therefore, I don't make that choice based upon what I want. I have to make the choice based on what it is Christ wants. And so as we work together, we are encouraging each other. Hey, this is what Christ demands of us. This is what Christ has called us to do. And this is what Christ will give us the ability to do. Because Paul doesn't say, I'm doing this with all my energy because I'm very energetic. Paul says, I'm doing this with all of his energy that he provides. So secondly, we have to be dependent on God. And keep that organized with the P's. We're going to say prayerfully dependent on God, okay? Prayerfully dependent on God. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints. And then uh, verses 9 through 14, Paul says, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and he's going to keep talking on, being strengthened with all his power according to his glorious might. Paul says we have to keep on prayerfully depending upon God. Because we can't make this change. We can't make the change in our own life. We can't make the change in somebody else's life. If that kind of transformation, that glorious transformation from darkness to light is going to happen, it's not going to happen because of our ability. It's going to happen because of the power of God. So we must prayerfully depend on the power of God. We must prayerfully depend on God's spirit to accomplish a work, to open eyes to see and open ears to hear, open hearts to to, to change. We must be prayerfully dependent on God. So it's people that are God's fellow workers. They're prayerfully depending on, on God, and they are proclaiming the word of God. They're proclaiming the word of God. And I've read several of these verses already, but if you're taking notes, it's, it's verses 5 through 7, verses 9 through 10, verse 23, verse 25, verse 28, where he's talking about how we keep proclaiming the word of God to people. And so as we have opportunities for fellowship, whether it's during a meal here, or whether it's at your home, or at some other location, or, or you're, you're on, a, on a journey with somebody, or you're doing a hobby with somebody, as you have interaction with people, what should, we, should be the content of our communication? It should include the Word of God. We should be proclaiming the Word of God to each other, and not just reading it, although that's a good thing to do, but explaining it and applying it. And talking about the struggle that we might have with that. And so in order for us to know areas of people's lives where the scripture applies, we have to be close to people. We have to be involved in their lives, and they need to be involved in our lives. Just as Jesus and his disciples traveled everywhere together. I'm not calling us to do exactly that. But hopefully we get a chance to see other brothers and sisters more than just once or twice a week. That we are engaged and involved in each other's lives, helping one another 
all throughout the week. We're commanded to exhort each other day after day. So not just on Sunday and Wednesday, but every day. And, and we are thankful for technology that we have that allows us to do that. But, but let's, not, let's not forget that some of our technology actually allows us to travel pretty quickly, which is not the, the blessing that they had. Uh, they were closer together in proximity. But for us to be regularly proclaiming the word of God, we have to be spending time ourselves in the word of God and learning and growing, seeing how, how it makes sense and how it fits into life and then ap applying it. James says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. So we need to be working on our ability to teach. Say, I'm not really much of a teacher. It doesn't matter. That's what we're called to do. And I, I recognize some people are gifted as teachers and some are not as gifted. But here, here we are told that if we are going to make disciples, we need to proclaim God's truth. That is, we have to teach them to observe, to do all that Christ commanded. And the way we do that is in the power of his word. And it's the power of his word that, that helps to make that change. It's the power of his word. Hearing, hearing the word brings about faith. Hearing the word is what transforms and changes us from one degree of glory to the next. And so we have to be proclaiming the word of God. We have to be not only reading it out loud, but explaining it and applying it in people's lives. And that starts with us. It starts with those who are close to us. If you live in a house with other people, and they are littler than you, or, or at least younger than you. I'm not looking at my wife right now, but younger than you. Right? That's where it starts. And if you don't know how to apply and explain the word to them, you better get busy. You better get with somebody that can help you be able to do that, because that's your responsibility. And then the people out of your house, in your neighborhood, the people that are in your church, sharing the word, explaining it, applying it, working through it, chewing it together. Having them impact your life, have you impact their life? We are proclaiming God's word regularly. And the last P is or persevering step by step. Persevering step by step. I'm going to back up to verse 22, but I'm aiming at verse 23. He says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed... You continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He says you have to persevere. It's not just the, the plant that springs up really quick and then withers away. He says we have to persevere. And again, in order for us to do that, we have to be prayerfully dependent upon the power of God. So it's people prayerfully dependent on God, proclaiming the word of God, and persevering step by step. And again, we're not doing this to make ourselves better. This is not how can I make a better me, or how can I make you a better you? How can we become like Christ? who laid down his life in his weakness and suffering and death as a man to be raised by the power of God. This is what a learner of Jesus is learning, to have that transformed existence based on a transformed relationship with God in Christ. 
So we renounce that lie that used to be at the center of our, center of our lives, that, that it's all about us. And we, we have that right viewpoint that God tells us that everything is about Christ. He has preeminent place. He has first place in everything. We all should be involved in this, explaining and applying the word of God to those around us. If this isn't happening in your family, it needs to start happening. If this is not happening in your neighborhood, it needs to start happening. If this is not happening among your friends here at church, it needs to start happening. Because the gospel is not meant to just get us out of hell and get us into heaven. It is made for us to be changed into the image of Christ that he would have first place in everything. And that's why we make disciples. So let's be about it. Prayerfully depending on, on God. Pr- prayerfully depending on his strength to persevere. Prayerfully depending on him to give us the words to speak as we proclaim his truth and seek to apply it to others' lives and to our own. Prayerfully depending on him to use his people to change us all. That we will cross that finish line together. Perfect. Blameless in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you do not leave us to do this on our own. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And Jesus has promised to be with us to the end of the age. We're thankful that he intercedes for us. We ask that you would help us to remember to intercede for one another. Help us to prayerfully depend upon you for the grace we need and the strength we need to be changed into the image of Christ and to help each other to be changed into that same image. We look forward to the day when we will see Christ face to face, but until that day, would you help us to be faithful as you are faithful? Might we be patient as you are patient? Might we become holy for you are holy? And might we reflect your glory accurately by being changed in submission to Christ for his name and for his glory. Amen.